This is NRL Boom Rookies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of NRL Boom Rookies. I am Matt Bungard. Alongside me, as always, Mitch Doyle. Hello. Good day, everybody. And joining us uh, once again, our good friend, Daily Telegraph and TV's own, Nick Campton. Welcome. Hey, guys. Good to be here. Um, yeah, another another stellar round of rugby league, Mitchell. <laughs> um, some some close contests. Uh, we had one game where the lead changed. Um, South won, which was good for me. Um, Brisbane scored a try, which was good for you. Um, but yeah, um, the largest margin of victory in a round of football in 17 years. Average margin, yes. Well, I guess margin. As well, do you want to just take this away, Bunga? Do you want to go, go for it? Yeah, go just so, hit, him. Um, hit him hard yeah. off the back fence. I have to Doyle. So, I want to start this off with like, I still love this game. Everyone in this room still loves rugby league, but this truly is the first time in my life I do believe there is a crisis in the game, and it's not refereeing and it's not off the field, it's competitiveness. And it's come in conjunction with rule changes the last year or two. And I don't want to get into these silly arguments about salary caps because there's always been bad salary caps. There's always been bad teams. That doesn't make that that doesn't make a big difference to me. Like it's not that these teams just got bad this off season all of a sudden. You know, maybe if they had more time to prepare for the change of rules, they might have had different rosters or similar. But who knows? I don't want to get into all of that. And it's not about what team you support. It's not about any of that. It's a whole of game perspective. And I'm only, I'm coming with this now. I've got done a lot of bit of research and I'm coming by the numbers, you know, but I'm not looking at minute little things. I'm going to do real basic stuff just so you can understand how big of a problem this is for the game currently. And there'll be lots of deflections coming about, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's not the, the rules missing the tackles. It's the salary cap. It's all this other rubbish. It's all that. But the, the cold hard facts is, this is pretty much the worst margins, as Bungard said, margin we've seen in the history of the game happening right now in professional rugby league in 2021. We looked at the, after four rounds, so I'm not looking at this analysis, people comparing full seasons to these four rounds or comparing just to the last few years. I'm going to talk to you like the NRL economists would, <laughs> um, history of the game just so you can see compared to 1920, 1930, all those ridiculous times when the points were different and things didn't matter and people were actually bakers and played league, how different it is. We're looking at the fourth highest average margin after four rounds since 1920. Like that's, it's, sorry, 1920 is number one, sorry. 21 average points then, right? 18.3 average points in the margin after four rounds. The highest is 95 is what I meant, my bad, which was 18.4 points. 95 obviously had 20 teams in the competition. Not a great period for rugby league as well. But it's the fourth highest average margin in the history of the game. 1920 being the highest. So the gap between 95 drops back to 1938 to be above this year's average margin. Terrible. There's been a lot of focus on those 13 plus games as well. And people have been talking about this a lot. I don't think 13 plus goes far enough. Because you can see games like the Tigers game yesterday. It was a competitive game. And it ended up being a 16-point margin in the end or 14-point margin in the end. We are currently seeing the highest percentage of 24-plus margins in the first four rounds of the game of all time. 
24 points above all time. 37.5% of games have finished with that margin so far this season. 12 of the 32 games have finished with someone winning by 24 points. And you can talk good v. bad all you want, but Brisbane did the Bulldogs by 24. It's not just good v. bad. And there's other games like that as well. And the South would have done the Roosters by 40 if they wanted to last week. The only year was, was such margins, more of such margins since the start of the game is 1995 after, after four rounds. But the reason why the percentages of games because after four rounds, there was eight more games in 1995. There's only seven seasons all time where over 30% of the games had these types of margins and 95 and this year, the only two years since 1980. It's ridiculous. It's just 14 of 40 in 1995 and 12 of 32 now. We also had the lowest percentage of zero to six margins through four rounds since 1969. Only six games finished with one score, within one score. And there's also only seven years worse than this on that rate in all time. And they're all before the bloody 40s. And the scoring was different before the 40s. You know, the points, things were worth less. We're looking at the most tries by forwards through four rounds since 2005. 64 tries scored by forwards or bench players and the most tries by starting props since 2007. And I love forwards and I love props and that sounds great. But so much for the little man. And it just looks like an absolute symptom of the exhaustion we're seeing in the game. Players crash over through the middle. And despite the point scoring we're talking about, since 1998, there is still nine more seasons that have, a, have back score more tries by this point. Because the game is not this expansive thing which we want it to be. It's not expansive at the moment. It's very much up the middle. Guys are scoring tries by exhaustion through the guts. And it's not the little man taking advantage. It's a team or a four-pad taking advantage and stomping the other one. And by now, we all know that by, by there's only been three comebacks this whole season. And it's all by teams where three guys get injured. That's round one, the Broncos to the Eels. Warriors around three and the Raiders. And the Dragons and Knights round four. We're also at a point now, and people have heard this one. There's three teams up to four rounds with negative 100-point differential. It's never happened in the history of the game ever. Even back in the days when you had teams win the comp for a decade straight, there wasn't four, three teams apparently this bad. So the last time a team was under 100 points difference at this point was 2002. That was the Cowboys. Before that was 99 with the Seagulls. And before that was 1974. But there's only been 10 such season teams, sorry, all time that have been at this position after four rounds. And somehow... We sit right now with three of them in the same year. We're also talking about the most lopsided betting odds round since betting markets have been a thing, really. The last 12 years, this comes from Tim Newens on Twitter, that this was the most, most likely game for favourites to win of all time. Sorry, all time, sorry, all record he's got there. And then the other thing we're looking at too, by the way, we spoke about a lot of this for, for broadcast ratings and how they're changing things to appease the broadcaster. And whilst we've been told to look over here, in the other hand here, the broadcast ratings are down. So even after all this trying to appease these broadcasters, and obviously last year, coronavirus, the ratings probably got a bump. But on Friday night's coverage alone, we're down over 100,000 viewers on average between this year and last year. And the year, before, year prior, so in 2019, over the first four rounds, Friday night averaged six, 675,000 viewers. Last year was 698,000 viewers, and this year is 589,000 viewers. This is after four damn rounds. It's not comparing the full season. Interest fades over a season. Teams blow out over a season. This is for four rounds of the season we're looking at this. And there'll be, now we're at this weird point where people are trying to talk about 
bad salary caps and bad teams and trying to convince us that somehow there's four or five of the worst teams of all time sit in this current window of rugby league. Ridiculous. And also now trying to act like the game isn't faster, which is also bizarre because the whole goal is to make it faster. But the, the facts are, you know, more things are happening at the start of halves. Thing, you know, things happening would generally mean speed, but more things are happening at the start of the halves, especially looking over the last years with similar rules, both years combined, more things are happening at the start of halves. There's more play the balls on average in the first 10 than any, any other year in the last five years. You apply the same thing to many statistics, you get the same result. But this year, there's also more tries in the last 10 minutes of every half than any other year. It all points to the game being faster in that first 10, 20 minutes of, of, of the game and then crashing off when everyone's exhausted, team scoring points. And then over 80 minutes, we average out with the same kind of numbers. Like, oh, yeah, everything's about the same. But it's really not. And you're not stupid when you watch the game and think it's faster. You're not dumb. You listen to players when they tell you it feels faster when you get told it's not because it is. Just because it doesn't average out that it's not faster doesn't mean anything. And you're hearing players cry out and all them cry out as well. And the last thing I heard today was about how, and many over the weekend, about how it's not the NRL's job to make these bad teams good. And it's not just about bad teams again. But you find me a game or a sport in the world where the rules aren't in place to make that game competitive. That's what rules are for. Yes, I'd rather see a team lose by 12 than by 20 plus. Yes, I'd rather see more penalties if it meant the game would be closer because it allows more strategy than what we're seeing right now. There's more ways of winning it win, or skinning a cat, more ways of winning the game. Good teams, and not even good teams, teams leading aren't penalized at the moment for when they pin teams down and cheat. It's not about good teams versus bad teams. You just highlighted that a lot. It's about just the team on top just runs away with the game in most instances in this, unless there's lots of injuries. And outside of those rules, we hear about, we go about, oh, it's not about, we're not, you know, catering to mediocrity. Yes, we, we have been doing that forever. We have been capping salaries. We've been capping coaching staff. We've been looking for mediocrity ever. We're trying to find the most even comp. We've always been on this search. And now for some reason we decided we're not and we decided we're not, but we're keeping all the other caps and checks and balances in place. And somehow I don't know, we end up in this mess and we're just ignoring the whole point that the games are blowouts. It's round four. It's the first time in my life that I don't give a shit. If I miss football games, I used to, I used to be guilty if I missed any game live, even I'm even talking like last year, even last year. And I was starting to fade then, but I used to hate when people would invite me out when the footy was on and I wouldn't go and I'd fight. But I'm telling you now, I get a better invite. I know I, if I look at this draw and I see it's a dollar 10 favorite or whatever, I'll, I'll go somewhere. Yeah. I know who's won that game. And that's Storm not, Bulldogs on Saturday afternoon. You're yeah. not, you're not sticking around to watch that. We're just looking at this. It's, it's a competitive, competitivity crisis. And the fact people think it's not the game's responsibility to make the game more competitive. I don't know what's wrong with you. That's the point of rules in anything. It's like when you play Monopoly, Bungard. Next time, if me and you ever play Monopoly, next time we play, we're going to play this rule that if you get past go first, just the first per- person past go, you get $2,000 instead. And you get that now every other time you pass go because you got past first. You're first past the post, you get the advantage. That will, well, you should have got there faster. Well, I should have, so but yeah, and I didn't. And then, well, it's my fault. And then, well, it's not, not the rules' fault to make like responsibility yeah. about that game fair. I mean, the same people who are saying, oh, it's not the NRL's job to reward mediocrity were advocating for a 10-team final series like six months ago. Or are advocating for a player draft now. Yes, or yes. that. Um, I just have to give some context to that because I wanted to let you go. So I did, I, I just mm. wanted to give some context to a few of the things you said. I agree with all of them. But um, for example, that 95 season that you mentioned, it had 
four teams that were in their inaugural season. So obviously you would expect them to have some teething issues. And then on top of that, and then on top of that, it had Souths, the Magpies, and the Balmain Tigers, who were all kind of circling the drain before they were kicked out of the competition or forced to merge. And there was 20 teams in total, which obviously means the talent pool is stretched further thin. Um, to your point about the players saying it that the game is faster, it was uh, Ben Hunt actually said tonight um, in an interview, he's probably the first high-profile high profile player to come out and call it out. He said, I personally think the NRL has gone too far trying to speed up the game too much, and that's what's creating a lot of misfortune in the game at the moment. Being out there, it's ridiculously fast at the moment. It's nonstop, and I think that's why there are more injuries creeping into the game. They're stopping the clock all the time, so there's more game time. Everything's faster, and I think that's what's contributing. Anyone you talk to, if they're going to be honest, they will say the same, that the game has gotten to a pace where it's pretty hard to keep up all the time. The idea, the idea of fatigue being a quality that the game really strived for was something that never made sense to me, but this same. is what that looks like. This is what it looks like when your players are so fucking tired in the last 20 minutes, they look like they're going to die. You know, the product drops off because it's harder to do stuff well when you're tired. The product drops off, drops off because people get injured because you're more likely to get injured when you're really tired. Yeah. You know, I, 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 underst- I understand that they don't want, they want players to be a, a little bit tired at the end of games. So it opens things up, but they have just completely, they have swung this completely too far in the opposite direction. And, what I reckon a lot of the takes around this, around this, let's call what it is, a crisis, a lot of it shows the lack of sophistication with the way a lot of very high-profile people watch the game. And it shows how little of, of uh, the product they actually watch. Because if you watch that entire round last week or the round the week before that, you, I, I don't know how you could dispute what, you, what we're saying unless... You are just so all in Peter Volandi's shit that you are terrified of repudiating him in any way, shape, or form. The hagiographer around Volandi's has always been really, really strong, and he did a great job getting the game getting the game back online last year. But this cowboy shit introducing crazy new rules with no time to prepare for it is just—it's insane. It's insane, and and eventually you've got to pay the cost for those big decisions. And this is the cost right now. The cost is the product is really, really bad, and like the. Like you say, Mitch, there's always been bad teams. There hasn't been a team a, a team as bad in attack over the first month of a competition. Uh, uh, sorry, fuck, I'm all over the place. There hasn't been a team as bad in attack as the Bulldogs this year for 93 years. Mm-hmm. I know Canterbury are bad. They are not that bad. No one should ever be that bad. No one should ever be once in a century bad. And there are two other teams that are comparable to Canterbury in that regard. Like it's... It's too yeah. much of a coincidence to assume this is all just happening at once, you know? It's not that's how stats it. work. It's not how it happened numbers the same work. The rules. And that's I why mean, I compared all time, Camper, when you say that, because it's so ridiculous that these are all time numbers. Because I don't like going back that far usually because it's not really that relevant to the modern game, but it's got so ridiculous. As you said, you can pull out numbers to not for 93 years on one team. It's terrible. I supported the worst teams in the league for many years. Um and if you think that these Cowboys teams and these Manly and Bulldogs teams have worse rosters than those early 2000s Rabbitohs or those late 90s Magpies teams, you're, you're an idiot. You're a moron. The best lock in the world is on one of those teams. <laughs> the Australian halfback's on another. The best lock in the world's team also has a guy yeah, who went to the origin, NFL. Origin winning fullback is on the other one. So Yeah, like it's, it's ridiculous. So, like, I like that comment, by the way. But that's not the worst team you've ever seen. That is not... 
And and the other part of that too, when you when you take criticism at these rosters and similar, and there's some players on these rosters that are on deals that are a bit long and they're and they're not probably too happy about in the clubs. But when they sign those players, the rules were different. Yeah. And God forbid those clubs who were now calling the world's worst management. Well, predicted that the rules would just change like this in an 18 month window. You're God, often, did. you've often criticized Jake Tabojevic, mm-hmm. but it's clear that he's been a player that's incredibly hard done by, by these new rules. They don't suit his game at all. And he's paying the price for that. But as a result, Manly are paying the price for that, for investing so much money in a guy who under these new rules is not as effective, but how on earth could they have known when they extended Jake Tabojevic's mm-hmm. contract that this was going to happen. They had no idea. How could they? Well, yeah. maybe they should have, Bungo. <laughs> Did you the, think about that? They lost their competitive edge here. We went over this with Jake and predicted in the preseason how he'd have a poor year because the skill set he brought was something that no one else at his size had. And now when you can play a Tyrone Peachy or a Connor Watson at lock, you don't need a Jack DeVoy bitch at lock. You can get away with a smaller guy who's a more of a ball player. So he's become not redundant fully, but it's totally limited his his ability in the field, which should limit his earning capacity. But they signed that contract before the rules. As you said, Bunga, like, what are they supposed to do now? They're going to go, well, that's our fault. We should sign everyone for one year and then read the rule book. I, I, one year deal. I think, look, there's, there's, you're either a Panthers fan or you've identified that there's a problem at this point. Because Panthers fans think everything's fine. They think it's great. But yeah, it, I, I, I'm... And look, maybe they're not used to success, but you talk to any Storm fans that I know, any any of my fellow Rabbitohs fans, any Raiders fans or Roosters fans, like teams of the other, you know, heavyweight teams, and they're all they're all pretty much in agreement that this is a problem. And I watched my own team on Friday just cheat on every play the ball that Canterbury had once it was past six nil. They were offside every single play, and yeah, they gave up a few six against, but who gives a shit? There's not really a deterrent to give Canterbury an extra two hit-ups in exchange for smashing them on their own 10-meter line and stopping their go-forward completely. I don't know why Panthers fans wouldn't wouldn't see it this way because that's what happened to them in the grand final last year. Melbourne pulled an absolute special mm-hmm. on them. I know it was a little bit different because it didn't have the six again for offsides, but that's a big part of how Melbourne yeah. were able to... No, that was different because the know? refs cheated. Oh, yeah, of course. Sorry. Yeah. But on, but on the refs, I think an underrated part of this is the switch back from two refs to one. Mm-hmm. That's not helped, yeah. It's not It's not helped at all because, like, and Friday was a good example. Souths are jumping offside all the time, all the time, all the time. And because there's only one ref and he's got to keep as well, he, he's, there's only so many things he can look at at one time. It's like, it's like when Super League was still one ref and teams would be jumping offside like crazy. And then it would happen in, in test as well with one referee. That was the big fear going from two to one is that mm-hmm. the players are so fit now that they'd be able to jump offside all the time, which they're doing even more so than they would before because six again, most of the time, isn't that big a punishment, especially if you've got a team pinned down their own end. Yeah. And I might, and just to expand on the other rules that just got changed for no reason, we had another scrum try this weekend. I think we've had one every weekend, but yeah, great that we got rid of those for the most part as well. And that and that's another issue with the game. And I don't understand why teams like I look, look at my Brisbane Broncos right, and their kick chase has been really poor this season. Out of Alex Glenn chasing kicks, I believe that team should be kicking the ball out every time they cross the opposition thirty. If they if they're tired, kick it out because what you get is a fully set line. It's pin down that guy and tackle one. Yeah. And instead of letting them get a thirty meter kick return or twenty meter kick return, their tackle one is on the twenty again. They've already wasted a tackle, and you go from there. I don't know why more teams aren't doing it, but I think it's we're bizarre. Start I'd be kicking it. it out every single play, yeah. every time, because then it's not like they're allowed to take a quick play the ball. They have to wait for you. So yeah. it's like, I mean, they had four golden point games last year as well, and none so far this year. 
I mean, he already went to the margins, but those games are taken away from us. And I don't know why people are now going, oh, we can't help bad teams. But it's like, don't you remember how cool it was? Like, I'm not talking ancient history, but like 2018, where we had one win between first and eighth. It was a cracking year rugby league. Mm. No, oh, but rugby- that was a problem because, like, I don't know, too many teams were eliminated from the finals too early. But yeah. And then even then, you had like down the bottom ladder, it was like one win between everyone that was pretty much yeah. really close. And the Tigers had 12 wins and just missed the eight. But that's competitiveness. I thought we were chasing this for so long. And now people are now going, oh, you know, whatever. It's just, you can't help the bad teams, let them suffer. But it's not just the bad teams suffering, decent teams get pump, pump, pummeled as well. Like the Warriors got absolutely pounded by the Roosters missing key players. Like what, what two days yeah. ago now? Like pounded. They got done by twenty. And I, I just, you just, we're just not going to get upsets anymore. Like there's, there's been what one upset was was the Dragons beating Newcastle like the first in inverted commas upset. I suppose the Warriors as well, but they're the same result, right? They're both yeah. coming on the back of teams losing their entire bench to injuries. We haven't had like a fair dingham upset in the entire year. And it's been four rounds. Yeah, if you want people, to check out some... Sorry, go on. I just don't understand. People are managing to name every good game this year in one tweet to me in a reply and thinking that that is like an argument in their favor. I'm like, buddy, if we've had 32 games of rugby league and you can fit all the good ones into 240 characters or whatever it is, that's a problem. That's not helping your argument. And I thought there was a great line in Pythago NRL's piece, which everyone should read. I'm I sure. I to say that piece. Good man. There's a line in there that, that likens this to climate change. And obviously on face value, you might hear that and think that we're being melodramatic and all that. But if you read it, it's spot on because he basically makes the point that this is these rule changes have hurt the vast majority of people in terms of entertainment factor of the games and the majority of people who support pretty much every team that isn't Penrith or Souths at this point. But in return, we've got the small minority of people who go, well, you know, it's raining outside today. So global warming doesn't exist. And the equivalent of that is, oh, well, we had a close game today. So don't worry about these rule changes. We had six blowouts before that. But um, the Tigers only lost by 16. So it's, so it's fine. Give yeah. me a break. It's a whole of game issues, what I was saying. It's not the, you can all, you can pick out all the good games you want. They're still good games. We're not saying there isn't good games. But as a whole of game, it's not looking great right now. Everything's not looking great, as you just said. And Pythagoras article, so pythagoras.com, check that out because he has got some other things too about how favourites are winning more than ever, like by the most more than ever, how it's the game is more predictable on based on form than it's ever been at the moment, all those kind of things, some great numbers in there. And yeah, it's it's just a game. They We went up with these goals of being more unpredictable, faster, more entertaining, and I would say they've not ticked. Maybe they ticked the faster box. They ticked that one, but they have not ticked more entertaining at all and, and more unpredictable because they're more predictable than ever. The betting odds tell you that. Betting guys, they know what they're doing. That's an outside source. The, bet- the, punters, lo- the, the, the sharps love these new rules, by the way. They love yeah. them because yeah, they're just plus. making bank on the under on the favorites everywhere. Yeah, like me and you and Camper can sit here with our opinions all we want. NRL can have their opinions all we want. The, the betting market is a third party that literally this goes on likelihood of winning. You know, they do this for all sports and the NRL is messed up at the moment in betting markets and the, the, the favorites are winning by like an average of like 15 points, which is the highest in the last decade as well. Like it used to be, it used to be a big deal. Like it would be a newspaper headline if a team had a 20 point start in a game. Now we yeah. get like three every weekend and no one gives a shit. Lads, let me ask you something. 
is the fix as simple as removing the six again, going back to wild penalties, or is it like a deeper rooted thing? And two, do you actually see that happening? Like this crisis that we're talking about, I, I, I don't think, I don't think it's going to gain traction at the, at the sort of the highest levels of the rugby league discourse, purely because like I said before, a lot of the people that kind of drive those narratives, yeah. just they don't watch the game the same way as say the three of us would. There's, the only way, mate, I can see it happening is if more players do what mm-hmm. Ben Hunt did tonight. It's the only feasible way that anything will change. We can say whatever we want. Even like, even if you get on any of the panel shows and you get ex-players, I don't know who's in favor of them or who's against the rules, but even if you get people like Cooper Cronk or Brayton Astor or whoever speaking out, that's probably not going to make a difference either. The only way this is going to change is if more and more players start saying this is shit. No, the broadcast rating is absolutely tanking. That's how it'll change fastest. That too. Yeah, I'm, but, I'm, all, I'm all with Mitch. I'm all with Mitch. I don't think, I don't think player power is enough. I don't think those uh, people on the TV show are enough. I think there has to be a real dramatic impact to the broadcast ratings or the broadcast revenue. And even then, it might not be enough because I think it would be. It's so easy to spin that as mm-hmm. well. It's because the teams aren't competitive, and the teams aren't competitive. For not these new rules, but for all these other stupid reasons that we're going to roll out That's for it. And that, these, you. We used to have upsets all the time. And even like, I don't want to harp on it again. I, I don't want to just harp on my own personal experience. But even when Souths were bad, like they were worse than these teams personnel-wise by a mile. But they beat some good teams sometimes. Like 2004, Souths beat the defending premiers, Penrith Panthers. In 2003, Souths beat the Melbourne Storm. These results would never happen now. Like the Bulldogs are not, the Bulldogs could play a rotation of Melbourne and Penrith every week for the rest of this year and they would lose all 24 games and none of them would be close. And I'd bet my life on that. Yeah, I'm with you on that, mate. We had upsets all the time. And again, we have three winless teams already who don't think they're going to win a game unless they play each other. And people not seeing that as an issue of the rules. It just, as you said, it's a bit of a lack of an understanding of, of what the rules do. Like, we just watch those games, watch a team pin a team down in their half and that team make 20 meters and kick it back and think, man, there probably was four penalties in that set. <laughs> they probably would have loved to get up the other end of the, other end of the field, wouldn't they? But I mean, that highlight you shared today, the one of Reed Marnie holding down, I think it's, is it, is it, is it Will Kennedy that he's holding down yeah. for the Sharks? He holds it down for 15 seconds. Like, the rest is gone though, mate. but it's tackle one and it's yeah. two meters out from the Cronulla line. So they get a six again. Yeah. It's like, great. Great, really, really helped them, didn't it? But uh, now the stuff about the salary cap and all the bad teams—it's just, it's just all waffle. What you said, it won't change until broadcast ratings really tank for mine because there's already been too much dodging and ducking and weaving of no, it's not the rules, it's this, it's not the rules, it's that. I mean, concussions aren't the rules either, and people aren't missing tackles because of the rules, even though the rules cause fatigue that miss tackles, all that kind of stuff won't stop. Broadcast is the only way to really stop for me. And even then, I'm not sure this administration in charge would would suck it up and re- undo a lot of the radical changes they've already done because they didn't listen to coaches in the first place when coaches didn't want, want didn't want the changes because they, as they said, coaches just take advantage of rules, but they're taking advantage of these ones and still saying they're bad and they're not changing them back. So yeah, and if it's not going to happen, if, if the fatigue was supposed to bring the little man back, why is Latrell the thickest boy the best player? Can't, yeah, we can't explain how, it. how stupid the little man argument always was. It's not like <laughs> yeah. before these rules, Ryan Pappenhausen and Damian Cook and all of them were trash. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're, they're into it. It's not like all the halfbacks were six foot 10, 120 kilos. <laughs> just Todd Payton. Yeah. yeah it's just, yeah. oh dear. It's just, yeah, it's tough. But yeah, there needs to be a really serious discussion about what we want, what we actually want rugby league 
to look like because there's never, I don't really think there's been a firm plan out, out, um, out of the head office apart from we need to make it faster. We need yeah. to make it more unpredictable and we need to make it more like the eighties. Remember the eighties? <laughs> yeah. Good weather. Bring back wedge plays. Someone asked me that the other day. They're like, I mean, look, it's naive to think it will ever go back to like, we're never going to see the 05 Tigers again. I know that. And part, and that makes me very sad because they were great. But I thought the first half of 2018 before the, before they reversed the crackdown and, and basically allowed Melbourne and the Roosters to wrestle fuck their way to another grand final. I thought the first half of 2018 was the best footy we've had in probably the past decade. I thought it was I, great. You had... I, I don't know about that. I thought there was, there was always going to be teething problems with the crackdown on penalties. And I think that kicked on a little bit with quality of play because there were some real stinkers. There's always no, been, but you had, you, you had the problems. teams like the Warriors, the Dragons, Penrith and Souths who were playing direct, who were playing fast and they were getting rewarded for it yeah, on know, the scoreboard and they were yeah, winning know, the majority know, of their games. That. Yeah, I know. But then the and, other and half, when, and when those rules came in. The, so, other half, the other half of that is you had terrible penalty field messes that were like 30 pens a game. And all yeah, that. but if they'd stuck with it, yeah, I know. I'm agreeing with you there. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that that's kind of the whole point. You've got to let these things run out to have the achievement that you want. But they didn't do that. They canned it after half a season, and then it was WrestleFuck City again. And now we're just, and now we're somehow even in an even worse point than that, where we've got just teams just cheating every time their other teams working off their own line, just blatantly cheating. My own team included. There was a photo someone tweeted during that game and the Bulldogs hooker hasn't touched the ball yet. And the South players are basically at the defense at the attacking line. I, I do enjoy though right now, as Campo said, a lot of these people who are now becoming experts with bad contracts and bad salaries. Yeah. These are the same people that spent the off season, like touching themselves over the Bulldogs roster signings and being oh, yeah. out there. Oh like, yeah. Oh, that Bulldogs roster is terrible. These were the people who said the dragons wouldn't win a game. And now they're like, Oh, well Manly have only got thrashed by good teams. Well, Manly was one of the ones that we put them down near the spoon and they were still in heats of top eights. And it's like, they're not saying we're experts, but none of us are experts. But no. people now pointing out, oh, look at these. These rosters have been terrible for years. It's like, but you I, didn't think I, that four I, weeks ago. I'm sorry. The Bulldogs got pasted by Brisbane, who are not good. No offense. Yes. Um, the, the Cowboys got pasted by the Titans, who are fine. They're going to be like a mid-table team. Yeah. And Manly got pasted by the Dragons, who were the favorites for the wooden spoon the day before the season no, started. No, it's just good versus bad, mate. Like I just yeah, and that's, <laughs> people point to Penrith and South flogging teams, and yeah, they're flogging teams, but they're flogging them so easily. Like it's not even like it's not even like that game with the Tigers and Eels on Monday, where it was relatively close and they bumped it out at the end. These games are over within fifteen minutes. Like there was no point in there was just no point on Thursday night in that in that game at Brookvale where I had any doubt in my mind that Penrith were going to win by a thousand, none, and it was yeah. just boring. And sure, the Storm Penrith game was sick. Yeah, it was great. It was. But I like I used to like watching all eight games. I'm talking about all eight games. I'm talking about the one game. I want good eight good games a weekend. I'll settle for six. But mm. like so far, I'm getting maybe one. We got maybe a half a game this week. The Tigers Eels was all right, and yeah. Knights. I didn't mind Knights Dragons actually, but the rest, yeah, not great. And I hate I become this bitching, moaning, talking head old man figure kind of thing. I feel like, but it's just it's what I've been turned to. It it sucks anyway. Probably maybe we'll move on. Yeah, and the goo feasting, but it's not going to stop anytime <laughs> soon, um, unless, um, unless the broadcasters do something. Yeah, I, I mean, usually we we go through our favorite games of the weekend, but none of them really jump out. I mean, we should maybe quickly talk about the Bulldogs 
not scoring a point for the third week in a row. Obviously, the rules are not helping them, but that is concerning no matter who's on the field, no matter what the ball, no matter what the rules are. I'm not quite sure what to make of um, of what Trent Barrett's doing there at the moment. I've been to three Bulldogs games this year, which, holy shit. I'm My condolences. I know, man. And when you talk to the players, they all say that they all, they all talk about the, the really great impact that Barrett's had on their football. And they say, like, what you're seeing in the games isn't what we're like at training. And the reason we're losing as bad as we're losing is because we're with them for a little bit and then we just get blown out late. And all that might be true, but you just – you need something. You need some sort of, of, of positive sign. And, and it's just so hard to find one there at the minute, you know? Like, and I know their forwards are terrible. They've got the worst forward pack in the league by a fair, fair way, and they're just getting eaten alive all the time. But it's just, I, I, I expected more signs of life from them. And it's 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 disappointing to see players like um, Kyle Flanagan. I thought Kyle Flanagan was at least going to have a pretty good start to life at Canterbury. But he's just, he's not really looking like a first grader. I mean, Corey Allen has just dropped off the face of the earth. He's in the centres this week. He's not even on the wing. Yes. I'm not really sure what's going on there. I think... Kotrick looks dangerous sometimes. He's the only one of them that really looks likely and able to create something. But even little things with him, they're playing him on the left side instead of the right side when he was always more of a natural right-sided player. And his his dream of playing centre is already dead. He's on the wing this week. Well, he should be playing right centre. I don't know why they weren't playing him at right centre from the jump. But I like like the way Barrett talks about the game and, and what he's trying to do. But it's a little like Todd Payton where, you know, he can say all the right things, but there needs to be there needs to be yeah. more of tan, more tangible pro- progress after a month, you know. And they're up against it this week. Yeah, it doesn't get any easier the next two weeks. Oh, lads, I just want them to score a try, the poor buggers. Yeah, it was that was. I actually felt bad for them in the like Souths were defending like it was two minutes to go in a grand final, and they were up by four. Like they knew what was at stake, and they were like so determined to not let Canterbury score a point. It was just a bit. I I just felt bad. Yeah, they've got um Luke Thompson back this week, but will help, but not probably not against the storm. Nah, they're just missing. Oh, they don't get anything out of individual brilliance. I know he said they got Nick Kotrick there, but and I know it doesn't change anything. But you know, the Brisbane scored six points because Nick Xavier Coates exists. You know, <laughs> and we scored some points. We've done that a couple times this year. They haven't really got any of those kind of tries this season, but they look just slow when they have the ball across the park. They look slow on attack. And the only team I see on the goal line, and they mean that, as we'd all know, they have, they have like a try every like 60 play the balls in the opposition area at the moment, which you wouldn't be surprised by. But they're the only team I look at and like they just have no clue what they're doing down there. That's it. That's it. it. In that first game against Newcastle in the first half, they scored two tries. And they were both really, really mm. interesting because they it was Kyle Flanagan going right to the line. He had heaps of bodies in motion all around him. He had three or four decoy runners and he could have hit any one of them and both times he made the correct decision and they stopped doing that after about 30 minutes of that game and they haven't done it since you know when i went when i when i watched that half i thought wow you can really see the impact that barrett's having on this side's attack you know everyone's moving off the ball it's really good stuff and you know it won't happen all the time but you know it'll happen a little bit and it's just it's just absolutely vanished it's absolutely vanished finding is not going to the line no one's moving around the ball I don't think defenders ever feel threatened by by any individual players. Like you say, Mitch, there's such a lack of individual brilliance, you know? And they have guys who could maybe step into that role. Kotrick's one, maybe Adam Elliott's another. But at the moment, it just all looks so so bland, so pedestrian, you know? And your man, Corey Allen, Bung, is, is kind of the biggest victim of all that because 
he was excellent at South, where he's more of like um, he's creating with his with his passes, but he's coming onto the coming in as a as a third receiver off Reynolds and and Walker, and then he can sort of do stuff from there. If it's just on him to do stuff, I don't know. If he's yeah, I think up. that's I think that's fair. Um, I'd like to talk about something else from this game and something a bit unfortunate, and that is the two instant incidents involving Cody Walker. Um, he's missing this week. I feel like he probably should be missing more than one week. Mm-hmm. I actually thought the stamp was worse than the elbow, but um, yeah. So obviously I'm sure most people are aware, but if not, I mean, he was suspended for a week for an elbow to the back of Nick Meany's head uh, whilst completing a tackle. And then in the same game, he trod on the foot of who was it? Corey Waddell. Uh, yeah. Uh, just for no reason. Um, and he got that. fined for that. And Cody, I've, I've waxed lyrical about Cody enough times on this show. Like, I, in my opinion, he's the best five eighth in the world. And, and I think you, if you don't think he's in the top 10 or 15 players in this game, you're, you're a big dum-dum, but he keeps doing little things like this. And it's just, I don't know. It's just a bit disappointing. Well, I think an important part of Souths and, and what Walker brings to Souths is that sort of swagger that he has, that confidence yeah. that he has. And Latrell, Latrell has a little bit as well. But it, if with Latrell, it never seems to boil over like it does for Cody. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what it is because normally he seems so in control of everything he wants to do with the ball, and then this sort of stuff bubbles over. And again, for no reason, for no reason, I could understand if it was against the Roosters, who Souths hate, and they yeah. have they have a history with history with him big games. This is Canterbury, mate. This is like kicking a three-legged dog, bro. Like, yeah. There's no point. And. I hate, I hate it. I hate it when he does it because one day it's going to cost him. It's, it's really going to cost him in a big game. Either he's going to get suspended for the next big game or he's going to put his team under pressure. And he's too talented and too smart and too experienced to get mixed up with this sort of bullshit. I, lo- I love that he plays with swagger, but he's, he, he's got to put a lid on it or one day it will really, really hurt him. I was furious at it. I knew Bunga to go at it. Like that stamp, if you haven't seen it, it's not just he's trod on the guy by accident. You know, in the play of the ball, it's like Waddell is tackled on the ground, tackles over. Cody Walker walks up and stamps on his foot for no absolutely zero reason and walks away. That's the grubby shit that has no place in A grade, let alone first grade. It's pathetic. You're supposed to be, as you said, men on this field in a physical in a physical combat. You know, you're taking men on, and you're doing that stuff is weak. And it's a bad look for the game and they're lucky that it seems to not be picked up by more people because that deserves longer. When you hurt someone in a tackle, you were trying to do something that's a part of this game. You were trying to tackle somebody or put them on their back or gain an advantage or do something that's part of the football game you're playing. There's no part in the game for that garbage from Cody Walker. And he's lucky he's only missing one week because I'd love to, like I would have happy to seen him go for three or four for stamping on someone like that. I don't think anyone would have blamed them for doing that. Um, and it was, like I mean, I suppose old, it was at least good that Benji is here to play the game the right way. The gentleman. Well, ben, Benji yeah. is the most respected man in the league. You know, like I'm not even joking. He's going like, to murder Brisbane. Every player <laughs> that you speak to absolutely reveres Benji Marshall. So it'll be exciting to see him get a full 80 in that regard. Um, but yeah, it, it was at least heartening for me to not see a single South fan defending this shit because it's, it's, it's just garbage. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I hate to just keep harping on with South stuff, but it's in the rundown. Um, Adam Reynolds, uh, it's apparently boiled over now to the point where uh, his manager has been told by South management that they will not be budging on their one-year extension figure, even though Reynolds himself has dropped his demands down from three years to two. 
Uh, sounds are pointing at some cap issues down the line. Um, they've apparently only got a couple of million dollars to re-sign like 15 players or something. But yeah, this is an ugly saga that this team does not need while they're trying to win a premiership. And it just, it seems to just baffle everyone you speak to, whether they're a media member or a player or Wayne Bennett himself or a fan. No one really understands this. And no one really understands why the club are being so rigid about this, least of all me. Oh, I think it's 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 easy to it's easy to see why they're being rigid is because they got stung with with Burgess and and Inglis, you know. Well, that's that, a little bit that, different. I, I'm not. I know that's different, but I think that's why. Like Inglis and Burgess were great and awesome players and really important to South until they weren't anymore, and they were left holding the bag. and And that's just how it goes sometimes. But I, I, it seems to me that like it's looking more and more likely that Reynolds will leave. I just don't know what the market for him's going to be. You know, North Queensland had a little bit of interest, but they kind of got spooked off when they found out he's only Reynolds has only been training a little bit part-time since he had a, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was a bad injury in 2019. A vertebrae issue. That's it. And South's kind of been managing him since then. I can think of places where he would be a nice fit, but there are teams like uh, Canterbury or West who have also been stung, given big money to, to, to aging dudes. So there might, like, um, unless the ground totally shrinks underneath him, which it may well do, I, I, I don't know if there's a scenario where South end up keeping him. Yeah, and I don't, I can't imagine any team bar Penrith or Parramatta, like every team bar those two should be interested in him because they'd make their teams better. Obviously, Manly can't for contract reasons, but every other team should be kicking the tires on Adam Reynolds if he were to become available because he's a top-tier halfback in a league where there's so few good halfbacks at the moment. I don't really want to live in a world where Adam Reynolds isn't a part of the South Sydney Rabbitohs. And I think that we've always talked about how, you know, you have more of an affinity towards a player if he's one of your own and if he's a local boy and all that stuff. It doesn't get more local boy than Adam Reynolds. And for the club to be, if you're right in hypothesizing that it's because they're scared for things that happened with other players in the past, I just think that's silly. Like Adam Reynolds for all these criticisms about being a biscuit or whatever, like he's played 90 something percent of his first grade game since he came into the league 10 years ago. This isn't a guy that's availability issues are anywhere near as bad as people make them out to be. And this isn't a guy who's the way he plays is in any way really dictated by his physical attributes either. So it's just frustrating and confusing to me while the club, why the club wouldn't budge. And realistically is that if they're happy to give him a one-year extension for 2022, how much worse could it make their situation if that's until 2023 instead? I, I don't know. And I know you mentioned there that every club should be kicking their tires. And it's not that I disagree with you, but it's more the fact that if you look across the league, you look at the Raiders and they're already committed to Williams and Whiten. You look at the Sharks and Sean Johnson's off contract, but they still have Chad Townsend and they're never playing Townsend and him together. Look at the Titans and they have Fogarty and then they have Ash Taylor off contract. Maybe that's a destination that maybe Fogarty goes back to six and Ash moves on. There's maybe Reynolds, a spot Reynolds, there. Reynolds did go very close to joining the Titans, I think about four years ago or so. Mm-hmm. So close that he agreed to terms and just didn't sign and then ended up there you go. not reneging, but sort of saying, I agreed to terms, but I have my fingers crossed, lads, so I'm staying at South. There you go. Stop no, saying reneging. But yeah, no spot at Manly, the Storm, Warriors guys are penned. Knight's not going to play him with Pierce. Eel's not going to take him. Panther's not. Dragon's not. Unless the Dragon wanted to go hunt six. I don't know why they know why they'd do that. Rooster's not. So you get left with this, this well, area I don't know. Here. A, a Kiri Reynolds combination. Sam Walker's not giving that jersey back. <laughs> so you're left with this spot there. Warriors on. 
Yeah, walk us on, mate. The left footer spot that you left with clubs like the Tigers, who have Luke Brooks, but they're not fully committed. They just have a couple of years on his deal. So there's the Tigers there, the South, obviously, the Cowboys, and then maybe the Bulldogs maybe think they can already move on from Coughlin. Um, what about maybe, the Broncos of Brisbane? But no, that's what I was getting to. Brisbane, obviously prioritizing Tom Dearden. But I, if I'm the Broncos, I'm talking to Adam Reynolds because you can't be left holding the bag of nothing. So, but it's not as many options as a player of his talent should have coming off contract. Just because I guess there's teams aren't really, it's that one of those weird years where everyone's got their halfbacks signed up. That I, I do think um, things can change, but he's probably also gone to the market and not got the response he, respect, he expected either, or he deserves. Yeah. Um, look, I hope that it works out. I really do. I'm not sure if it will, but oh look, uh, we talked enough about South. You did mention Sam Walker there. Let's briefly talk about him. Had his debut on Easter Sunday at the SCG. Set up a nice try to Nat Butcher in the first half. Thought he was pretty good. Thought he played fine. I was I was pretty impressed. I was pretty impressed with how he was able to steer the team around the park. And it's one of those things, if that's the worst first grade game he ever plays, which, you know, it won't be, he'll have shockers in the future. But if that's the platform you're building on, that's the base. That's pretty exciting. You know, I didn't think he ever looked overawed for a second. He brought in a lot of uh, the things that make him special, particularly he loves really long cutout passes. And he threw a few of them, which I think was really nice. Like he's sort of showing his, showing his stuff early. Yeah, I, I think I think him and Kiri can be a really good combination for the next couple of years. And this was always coming with Sam Walker. Like Trent Robinson has, has been a massive fan of his mm-hmm. pretty much for the last 12 months since he came down and started working with him full time. And the, the Sam Walker era was coming. It's just sort of come along a little bit earlier than um, a lot of us might have anticipated. You know, sky, sky's the limit. It really is. It's just bullshit. Why don't they get another good player? I know. I hate it when good clubs do smart things. Yeah, it's annoying. Shouldn't shouldn't be allowed. Move into the Bulldogs to make the comp fair. Um, uh, Reese Walsh, uh, Mitchell. He was obviously already leaving for the Warriors, but he's now gone. Um, any any thoughts? You your talk, talk talk me through this uh, Warriors guy. You're apparently getting back in a uh, player swap. Well, we you don't know if that's happening. Aldi Andrew Milford. Uh, Andrew Milford. I call him like, today. Aldi Anthony Milford. They look up. The, so, Reese Walsh has departed Brisbane and gone to the Warriors, as everyone probably knows by now. Brisbane haven't brought in Paul Turner yet, who's the, who they're looking to get. They're offered Hayes Perham first, and we're more interested in Turner, but I believe there's some contractual issues with um, the Turner move. I don't know exactly the full details, but something to do with his taking a spot in the 30 or not being a development player. There's some issues there, so hopefully they figure those out. But, yeah, uh, Paul Turner looks like the... Uh, the long lost cousin of both Anthony Milford and, and Tuila Lahia, not saying in a good way, but just the way he plays a bit. Um, someone I'm ready to believe in and go down the ship with and be disappointed in greatly in two years, but whatever. We'll see. We'll see if that happens. I'll be happy with that deal. I may as well tie it in, into as well, though. I want to talk about, I know we have stags and on sheep, but I want to talk about my boy, Anthony Milford. And I think I've finally taken the red pill. Oh, no. Oh, dear. And I've just accepted that. It's just not happening for him at Brisbane. It's, I know we everyone else is pretty much there, but it's it's just uh, him and Brisbane need a divorce. And it's not to say Anthony Milford hasn't got that talented player in him still, but I've made excuses for that guy's year over year, and it's like enough is enough. There's like a talented player in there; he could be one of the best in the game, but it doesn't matter because it doesn't happen at Brisbane. And the things to happen at Brisbane to make him into that player 
There is too many other things to move to let Anthony Ilford be the responsible free roaming five eight he wants to be. For that to for that to get a motion, there's no they're not going to find a nine or a seven who's going to look after the team next year. They're not going to find that guy. And then like it's at this point, it's like it's better for both of them to go set. In my opinion, to go separate ways. Maybe Milford goes somewhere else into a club where he can just do his thing, where he likes to you know avoid the game for four tackles and then kick the ball away and or loaf through a game for half of it and turn up. He can do that at another club some weeks and get away with it. He can't get away with it at Brisbane. They need him too much, and there's not enough. Like there's no one else there currently who's going to you know get up his ass when he has one of those games like he had one again on the weekend happy to watch the game float by for a while and then got a rocket at halftime clearly when they were down tried one or two selfish things and he had very selfish game if you ask me and then whatever nothing happened but it's like there's nobody on that field who's going to get up his ass like there should be and maybe he goes another club he can have that but i've just accepted it's, it's time they part ways and it's upsetting because you know i do still believe in the guy's talent but yeah i just I think it's. I think it's over. I think it's. It, I agree with you, Mitch, in that it's the end of the road for him in Brisbane. But I think for him to to really sort of, if if the player he was can ever be salvaged again, it's not so much getting away from Brisbane, the club. I think it's getting away from Brisbane, the city. Mm-hmm. I think he he's, he's at home. He's with all his friends and all his family. And I think he's a little. I think he needs to get challenged. He he, he needs to be challenged in some way. He needs to be taken out of his comfort zone. And he doesn't really sort of seem to me, to be the kind of guy that wants to go and do that. Like you say, he loves three games so often, you know? So I don't think like a, a move to the Titans, for example, would be good for him. I think he needs to really get as far away from Brisbane as possible. And I think he really needs to decide what sort of player he wants to be because he's still only 26. Like he could conceivably have another, you know, eight years at the, at the top level. And he's, certainly, he's still got the talent. We all know he's got the talent, but he really needs to commit to it. He has to commit to, to becoming the best footballer he can be. Or he can be the greatest player the Q Cup has ever seen, ever. And he can <laughs> hang out in his parents' basement and sink beers all day. And look, that sounds great. I'd do that, 100%. But he can be so much more. And if, if the best that we ever see of Anthony Milford was a year at the Raiders and his first maybe 18 months at Brisbane, for a player of his talent, it's just a terrible waste. Because he can be so much yeah. more. He has these things in him. He just, he, I think he just needs a different environment, a new environment to sort of draw those things out. And I don't even know where that really is. You know, you can run through teams in your mind, like, you know, maybe the Knights or something like that. I don't know if he'd do well in Sydney, but there's... Yeah, I like Newcastle. He's got some really big decisions to make about about what he wants the rest of his future to look like over these next couple of months. I I agree, mate. And I just... I know he's still a superstar pre-season and in training, and they, they always believe in his talent, but there's things there that, like, they just don't add up. And I do know he's still, as you said, Likes hitting the beers. There's a reason why he's never in fully playing shape. And Which, again, his, I, I respect enormously. Yeah, but at this, this age in his career, it's also not the right example to set for that rest of that roster either. Like, it's just not the right partnership anymore, those two. And I think it's quite obvious that Brisbane aren't really looking to re-sign him unless it's a massive turn in form or something. But, yeah, and there's no spot. It's really lazy and go easy. Oh, he'd be great at a storm, wouldn't he? I'd be great at the Roosters which is true because many players would be, but I think a, a club like the Knights is actually one that would benefit him greatly. Good forward pack. The nine's grown a bit. Mitch Pierce, whoever, whatever he is, he will live and die by the result. Pierce will have the ball a lot. And there's also Ponga. So he will forget to do his thing in that side. Yeah. I, I, that, 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 that was sort of seems like the best fit to me, but I also think he, he do well at a co- with a coaching staff. that's very technical and very football focused. Cause if mm. you look at the guys who have had him, in his at Brisbane. So he had Wayne for starters and Wayne 
maybe the greatest man manager the sport's ever had. But he admits himself that he's not much of a technical hands-on coach anymore. He leaves a lot of that to his assistants. Wayne's there for aura and for vibes and for getting the boys to play for him. Then he had Seabold. And Mitch, I don't know if you were paying attention over the last couple of years, but Seabold, nothing with Seabold really worked out. Mm-hmm. And then he's got Kevy this year. And Kevy is a little bit a little bit the same as Wayne, where he's more there for vibes than anything else. Yeah. I'd love to see him maybe with someone like, like Adam O'Brien, or I know it's a very cliched thing, but with Trent Robinson um, or Craig Bellamy, who are very X's and O's, who are very tactical and can really sort of delve into what will make him the best player in a, in a, in a, in a very tactical sense rather than just a vibes sense, you know? Yeah, I'm with you, mate. So um, I'm ready for the divorce when it comes. And I, and I wish him well in the future, but it's going to hurt every time he plays well wherever he ends up. But it's just that game on the weekend. I know I don't want to harp on it, but it was just one of those games where he knows he needs to perform and he's off contract, but he wasn't playing for the team. It was like every time he got the ball, he ran. And then he was trying to put those bombs up with no purpose but to make the other guy drop it, if you get me. It wasn't really tactical kicking. Yeah, you it, was just, hitting hope. it was hitting hope. Yeah, but it was like you, you, you just want to have those bombs on tape, don't you, Chief? You don't want those <laughs> bombs that they're dropping. That's what it felt like to me at some point. We just kept hitting them with no, and there was no kick chase or no rhyme or reason to them. But on the back of that, the Katoni Stags rumours that they're moving him to six. I'm, I'll ask your opinion on that, Campo, because I've obviously had talk about that on here before. But you've gone through the Jack White, the six thing. I don't like the Broncos prioritising it. I, I would accept him at six if it was like, oh, look, we went to try and get X, Y, Z, didn't work out. We're trying Katoni there. I don't like that we haven't tried to get someone first. But what do you think about the potential of him moving to, to six? Well, if you compare it to the Whiten, I, I, the, the, the conclusion I've arrived to with Whiten is Whiten is good at nearly every single rugby league thing, but he, I, I don't know how you pull it all together in, into one position. Because even now, playing 5'8", and he's one of the best 5'8s in the comp, and he won the DM last year, so so much of it doesn't look natural. He, like He's not a natural 5'8 in the way that uh, Luke Curie is or the way that Cody Walker is. It's almost mm. like he's a square peg, but he's such a fast, powerful, skillful square peg that he can smash through a round hole, no worries. He just makes it work. And I don't know if Katoni Staggs has the full set of skills that Whiten has that, that's been able to, that's been, that, that has uh, helped Whiten make this move a success. I don't think he's as skillful as a passer. Definitely don't think he's as skillful as a kicker. I like him at six. I like Staggs at six if he has the right elements around mm. him, if he has a nine who can play make a little bit and take the pressure off. I don't think Jake Turpin's that guy. If he has a halfback who does most of the organising and runs the team around the park, I do think Tom Bearden can be that guy. So I think there needs to be the right elements in place around Stags for that to work. But I, I would moving Stags to six would be the last piece of the puzzle that I was trying to put that together, mm. not the first one. That's exactly what you guys did at Canberra too. It's like, I, as I said, I can accept Stags to six if we went and you know assembled the pieces and went, oh, we've got this guy coming for nine. You know, Sarko's had a good year at one or we've got a new one or something. So we've only got X left for a six and we're going to move Stags there. But I, I do think I'm at that point now, though. I've had such a gut full of halves that are happy to watch the game pass them by. I do think because Tony Stags was one of those guys that would happily lose the game with the ball in his hands. But he would just, like, he did a lot to send it to you. He'll happily go down swinging, I feel like. And I, I might cop that for a couple of years if he's that half who does lots of dumb shit, but, like, gets involved. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, some other quick news bites we'll jump through running out of time. Um, let's not delve into the Wayne Bennett stuff, but there's a, the, for the thousandth time, Wayne Bennett's going back to Brisbane. Um, <laughs> the, the city, not the team. 
no, no. There's a story two hours ago saying he could be going to link up with Kevin Walters at Red Hill. So yeah. I, I feel like this is like the classic thing of he's probably had the handshake agreement with every single one of the new clubs. Yeah. <laughs> probably spoken to all of them. Uh, it just feels like, oh, I'm moving back to Brisbane. I don't know what I'm doing. It feels like he's signing on for whatever that club is from the day they start. And next year's that whole prep year of re- like, you know, recruiting and getting the, the culture start, all that kind of garbage. It feels like, cause uh, I don't think there's much change ends up back at Brisbane much as I'd love it. Like I'd feel like he's going to that new club, be it as a coach or is that coaching director or any of it, head of football, any of those bits of jargon. That's what I think is happening. I, I'm That's worried he's going to do an Al Pacino on any given Sunday and take Adam Reynolds with him to the Redcliffe Albuquerque isotopes, whatever they're called. <laughs> Reynolds takes a year off up there, yeah. puts his knees on um, ice. At some point, the Bronx and Bennett have got to accept that it's over. Nah. Yeah, no. No. Keep, mate, it's like how many, until Greg Inglis retired, how many Greg Inglis to the Broncos stories did we get? Man, he was so happy at South. Why would you say that? Well, he just, every time he wanted to go up there, it was raining and he couldn't fly. So. Like, like they had two incredibly messy divorces. They already decided twice that the greatest coach of all time wasn't good enough for them. <laughs> Getting back <laughs> one more time. One more time. Darius comes out of retirement. Get the band back together. Um, there's a big decision approaching with Michael Morgan set to see a shoulder specialist on Thursday. And obviously, if that goes poorly, he might have to retire. Um, a crazy fall from grace to a guy who had one of the best playoff runs ever um, in, that, in that Cowboys team in 2017, Mitch. Yeah, he's definitely one of our guys in a sense. I know Campo's a fan as well. It's... I was always, I was always, I was always a fan of his, even when he was more of a secondary playmaker next to Thurston. But that 2017 Cowboys run was was really exciting because even though Thurston was coming back the next year, it felt like you were getting a glimpse of what the future was going to be for North Queensland, and it was going to be Talmalolo and Morgan. And if you could build around those two, or if you had those two and like, you know, a bunch of scrubs you were at least going to be good enough to, to take a few teams down and maybe contend for the finals every other year. And then with Morgan, it just never happened again. He's never gotten close to that form once. And now it's four years later and all of a sudden we're turning around and saying he might, he might retire. I know that shoulder has been bad for him for a couple of years and um, it's, it's really sort of slowed him down. And I think it's the biggest way it's impacted him is just his confidence with his playmaking. Mm. If you look at his error rate over maybe the last three years, it has absolutely skyrocketed. And even the little things that he used to be very good at, like running the ball or he's attacking, kicking down, even that's kind of deserted him. So even if he does, even if he does play on it, it seems to me like he'll be in such a diminished capacity that it might not be worth it anymore. And he's someone I had really high hopes for this year because I thought Todd Payton was going to come in and kind of fix up his Oof. attack a little bit and, and, and all of that. But um, yeah, guys, I don't know if you've been watching, but that hasn't happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Michael but it's a, it's a shame. if he's got to retire, it's a, it's a tremendous shame because it, it is. I know I say um, this about a lot of players, but Mick Morgan's a really a really good guy as well, like a really genuine fellow. Like always represents the the, the area really well. Was a great success story as a local junior. And if this is how it ends, even though he has done so much, it's just a damn fucking shame. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do um think on that that it reminds me of the Billy Slater years that. That's a, really come, good, that's a really good comparison. For him to come back and be good would blow my brain. Because <laughs> Slater did that, but it's the most likelihood thing is like either retirement or he's just never that good again. Yeah. And I feel sorry for him because he's not that old. Like he's been around for a while, but he's like, what is he, 29? And no 29 year old man with three years from their contract wants to think about retirement. 
Um, yeah, uh, Josh McGuire might be headed down to the Dragons uh, and Jake Friend maybe forced to retire due to repetitive concussions. Obviously, a couple of interesting stories there. Don't have time to get into them because we do talk about... We've got to talk about the other big story of today, which is, of course, the introduction of the 18th man for either three HIA fails or if someone is taken off as the victim of foul play. Question for the boys. Uh, if you could bring in an 18th man in order for your team to fake an injury in the 79th minute of a game to come in and give you an advantage, who would it be? Sean Fenson. Why? Because I love Sean Fenson. What unique skill set does Sean Fenson bring to that situation? Toughness. Ah, Toughness. okay. <laughs> and general vibes. I liked your pre-pod. Mitchell, your pre-pod answer of Percy Montgomery was pretty good. Yes, you, you bring in the field goal specialist. Somebody, that's if Broncos are going to sign Percy. That's why I haven't signed Paul Turner yet because that rule comes in when they're fighting for wooden spoon by four and against, down 34 to nil in round 25. On comes Percy to bang a two-pointer to get him off the bottom of the ladder. <laughs> and that's 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 really the dream. That's 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 rugby league fairy tale stuff. I do. Of Springbok five eights and fullbacks being flown over once they hit forty five or something. What's Patrick yeah. Lambie up to? Get him on the blow. Yeah, there's, there's an arm race. The, the Stain brothers become. Rugby <laughs> I do love this stupid theory about why it has to be three concussions. I do think it has to be something proven related. So one or two concussions or something. I don't know, but this dumb theory that coaches are going to have like they're going to mastermind a scheme to have three guys get injured at the same time to bring on someone or something. It's like someone who we might add is not good enough for their first 17. Who is worth enough. He's so good that he's going to ruin their rotations and bring everybody off, but also not good enough to make the 17, but good enough to change the game. It's, it makes no sense. No, this is all part of some big plan so that para can bring on Hayes Dunster when two of their props get injured. Fantastic. Let's, let's, let me ask you, who is the coach that is most likely to knock players on the head with a hammer, giving them concussions so he can make use of the 18. Oh, this man. is definitely Craig Bellamy. He's like, he's got the shit to like, well, you know, the, when he's just screaming at his players out there, when Brandon Smith had a bad game at hooker, he might have just hit him on the head with a hammer and brought on Nico <laughs> Hines. Man. He's like, that's it. Bring right. me, bring me the Hines hammer. That's it. And that's, that's, a, that's, that might be the 18th man, by the way, Nico Hines. If you don't call this episode Hines Hammer, you're fairly kidding yourself. Um, did you, uh, while I pull up the Patreon list, you can have 30 seconds about Josh Maguire. Me? Well, I am the noted Josh Maguire expert. I quite like, I quite like the hookers now assembling the 2013 Broncos, but I would like it if he went more obscure with the plays he was recruiting. I was talking to Mitch about this the other day. What's David Harlow doing? Get him in. Getting down there, man. Mate, there's a guy who can crash over exhausted forwards. The modern game is built for that for David Harlow. There's right. your 18th man. Um, we've got some rookie takes to get into for this week. Oh god. Oh, this is a big exciting. week. They, they, a, I'm I had to cull this down from like 50. One thing when we started this, sometimes I thought it wouldn't be big weeks, but with these new rule changes, it is a big year for takes. There is a lot of competition in the rookie takes. I tell you, I got the shits when old mate nominated me. Oh, mate, I'll be nominated as well. Welcome. Yeah, Welcome to well, you won't like the finalists. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, so <laughs> we've got, we've uh, had to cull this down from about 25 or 30 submissions this week. And if you do want to submit your rookie takes and vote on, um, vote on them when we do put that final five up. Uh, by the way, last week's winner was um, Adam Mobs for that take about, um, the game going too far the other way for um, Daniel Fafida being sinbin for punching someone in the back of the head. The game's gone mad, apparently. Um, 
But yeah, we've got uh, Smoke and Joe 21. Unpopular opinion that Broncos definitely should have kept McCulloch and used him as a ball-playing lock who could help out defensively in the middle. Oh, wow. That's, um, that's really something. Um, number two, we've got John Wynn. It was in response to a tweet about how great Ryan Pappenhausen is. He said, the Saints fullback is very similar, only faster and has much better balance. Because of his well, dark ass, he's got better see, balance. Whenever I see Ryan Pappenhausen run, I am always struck by how off balance he looks. Yes. That's why maybe we should listen to this guy. Famously bad at running, the man who ran the Bay <laughs> Run in like four minutes. Uh, <laughs> uh, number three, we've got... Um, it's uh, from Adam Fanil Blake saying that the origin, uh, changing the origin eligibility rules would um, help grow the game and put bums in seats. Famously, origin struggles to uh, put bums in seats. Well, it was not, wasn't full stadiums last year, was there, Chief? Fuck. <laughs> well, well, you've Go got on. me there. <laughs> Take that one off the rookie takes. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, look, I, I've Go always struggled with record. this. Why on earth? Do we need to tweak origin to grow the game? That's the, the single biggest sporting event in Australia every year. Um, number oh, four. Well, was, oh, sorry, you go. Like, there, was all that, there was all that talk about how, oh, you know, we'll do whatever we can to sort of boost origin ratings and make sure it's, you know, the best product possible. It's like, it's already very, very good, if not the best thing in rugby league. And <laughs> it's not like people aren't watching. No. <laughs> um, I, number four, we've got Nick Campton. Uh, Nick Kotrick <laughs> can be the rock of Trent Barrett's Bulldogs rebuild. Okay, so I've got a couple of grievances. With Mate, if, <laughs> footy, if footy lover 69 doesn't get to defend his take, you don't get to defend yours. I, I 100% get to defend my take. So first of all, this isn't from this week. This is from the season op- This is from after the season opener against Newcastle. So I don't think, I don't, th- I don't, th- I, there is a statute of limitations on these things. Two, two, let's, let's, listen, listen. Two, it's a headline. It's not the entire story. Bungard, you know yourself that you can get stitched up by people that write bad headlines for you. Yes. And three, the whole point of the piece was that even if Canterbury are very, very bad, Kotrick is the sort of player that can create things out of nothing. He's the sort of player that they haven't had for a long time. So from a football standpoint, he's a good recruit. And secondly, they would not have signed Josh Adokar or Matt Burton if they didn't sign Nick Kotrick. I can tell you that for a fact. You know, it's easier to sign a good player once you already have a good player, it's very hard to sign that first good player. That's what I'm talking about when he can be the bedrock of the rebuild, you know? He's the yes. player they've attracted, and then from there they can attract other good players. Um, yeah, look, it's just funny. It is um, funny. But also, of all the submissions, of all the 30-something submissions we got this week, that one got the most Corey Horsburgh crying reactions on the Discord. <laughs> so, who well, am I to argue with the honor, people? It's an honor just to be nominated. But um, it, it, and it is, no, he takes not cold takes is a fair point by Canva. You can't yeah. take up from Well, no, ago. someone submitted the um, Ricky Oak saying Kyle Flanagan was ahead of Cooper Cronk thing from nine months ago, which I wanted to put in, but obviously can't because nine months ago is a bit too far. Um, final one, and I think my best one of the week, Greg Alexander said, I liken Nathan Cleary to Cameron Smith in terms of his ability to handle chaos around him without getting flustered. I mean, that's a good old, that's like, that's the kind of take that this thing, this segment was built on. Just comparing players to other players who are yeah, much better just, than them. I mean, again, it's like, you couldn't just like set an, an easy goal. Just like, say Mitchell Pierce or, or something. Just say Luke Prittis, for Christ's sake. <laughs> you know, like whatever. Oh, like, hey, yeah, Luke Prittis is fine. Yeah, that's exactly. Nathan, you can tell, Nathan, like, Nathan Cleary's composure reminds me of a pre-golf day Craig Gower. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Everyone's cool with that. There you go. No, he reminds me of the greatest of all time. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
No, don't do that again. Silly. Um, so yeah, if you want to vote on those rookie takes, um, you have to be a member of our Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash anaerobium rookies to sign up. And I'd like to give a quick shout out to the people in the top two tiers of our Patreon subscription. Dave, Carlo Tyson, Wayne Ritchie, Adam White, Ando, Ben Wallace, Blake Moretti, Butsy, Cam Bearswick, Chris Avnell, Chris Slade, CTO, Dan Cullinan, Doc Hogg, an anonymous backer, Frankie, Harvey G, Jace G, Jack Snape, Jake Harper, James K, Joel Riggy, Josh Brandon, Lachlan Hancock, Leon, Matty Jenkins, Matt Coleman, Matthew Duggan, Matty McP, Michael Murray, Morgan Watkins, Never Trendy, Razor, Reese Brown, Roxanne Clark, Simo, Stephen Hickey, Swarzy, Ty, the Not So Mature Age Student, Thor Laycock, Tom Hardy, and Warwick Ahern. Thank you to you, all of you, and the people in our lower tiers as well. We would not be doing this without you. Can I just say, I always appreciate how you put a little bit of extra pepper on Doc Hogg's name every time you say it. <laughs> it's a great name. It's a beauty. It's a great name. Well, um, I, the other, the other, the other week, I did up a, a seventeen, a seventeen man squad of the Boom Rookies Extended Universe. Did yeah. you? <laughs> I had Doc Hogg in the? T- I sent it to you, both. Oh, I have seen Doc Hogg in the team, purely based on his name. I have no idea who he is. I've never met him, but he's a guy you just want around. Doc Hogg's coming off the bench and causing some havoc. Oh, Doc Hogg's a cult hero. Doc Doc Hogg, Doc Hogg like captain second grade and plays ten minutes for first grade every week, and the punters just love him. They do. And the punters love you, Nick Campton. Thank you very much for coming on. Oh, it was good to be here. Even though I had to, def- even though I had to defend my we, shitty take. We didn't do Coltrane Cup. Um, oh, I was going to save for question time because we were running over. But no, yeah, I'm, no, I'm, no. I'm, I'm still tossing up my... I need another hour. You need another hour? Okay, that's yeah. fine. I, I think... Yeah, it was, we'll talk about a question time. Fine, we'll yeah. start with Okay. Uh, say goodbye, Campo. Bye, guys. Say goodbye, Mitchell. Goodbye, Mitchell. And it's goodbye from me. <laughs>